0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
1: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series
2: about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. 12th century Mongolia. The blistering winds of the steppes howled over soldiers on horseback. The infantry unit kicked up powder from the heavy snow. Down the road, a dimly lit camp, and an overdue comeuppance.
1: At the head of the pack was 19-year-old Temujin, or as history infamously remembers him, Genghis Khan. Temujin slid an arrow into his bowstring, taking mental note of the sentries when he saw his wife, Borte. She was preparing stew for a camp of enemy soldiers.
2: It had been a year since he laid eyes on his beautiful bride. She had been kidnapped when this same band of raiders attacked their camp.
1: Borte's kidnappers were cunning nomads and difficult to track. This was the closest Temujin had been to a rescue. As he considered a target, he couldn't help but notice a bump protruding from his wife's abdomen. Before Temujin could process it, an errant arrow found his horse. Temujin fell and lost his bow. Suddenly, a volley of arrows met his posse.
2: This wasn't the plan. Their surprise night raid was falling apart before it even started. Temujin scrambled to find his footing when a hand pulled him to safety. He locked eyes with Jamuka, his blood brother and co-conspirator.
1: Jamuka tossed Temujin his bow. The Blood Brothers entered the camp united. Come hell or high water, they were bringing Temujin's wife home safely, and then they were going to bring order back to the Mongolian plateau.
2: Or at least that was the plan. Tonight they had each other's backs, but in a few short years, their tribes would become sworn enemies.
1: The outcome of this raid would propel Temujin from a lowly nomad determined to rescue his kidnapped wife to Genghis Khan, the man responsible for one of the bloodiest genocides in human history.
2: Welcome to Dictators, a ParCast original. I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Kate. On this show, we're going deep into the minds of some of history's most hated despots. In this season, we're exploring the lives of three medieval-era dictators, Ivan the Terrible, Genghis Khan, and Vlad the Impaler.
2: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
1: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: Today, we're chronicling the life of our second medieval dictator, Genghis Khan. From his early nomadic life in Mongolia through his desperate teenage years to his rise as the man whose army conquered most of Eurasia. Finally, we'll unpack his feud with Jamukha, the friend turned rival who stood between him and the future of Eurasia.
1: Next week, we'll examine Genghis Khan's era of brutal dictatorship and his fall from power. We'll investigate how his policies led to the genocide of millions, brought disparate trade interests to the Silk Road, and how his lasting impact expanded cultural ties between East and West.
2: When historians discuss consequential conquerors, none had the same unquenchable thirst for destruction as today's subject. In his lifetime, Genghis Khan conquered 4,860,000 square miles, more than any other ruler in history.
1: Historians estimate that somewhere around 40 million people were killed under Genghis Khan's reign. And his wrath was not confined to Asia. Nearly three-fourths of modern-day Iran's population was decimated after his invasion of the Khwarezmian Empire.
2: When the dust of Genghis Khan's conquests had settled, he likely reduced the world population by a resounding 11%. His legacy as a sadistic ruler with little regard for human life was cemented.
1: But like previous dictators in our series, his legacy remains complicated. Besides his military accolades, Genghis Khan brought modern advancements to the Mongol Empire. He created one of the first international mail systems, supervised the adoption of an official writing system, and encouraged religious tolerance.
2: At his empire's zenith, Genghis Khan reigned over the most ethnically and culturally diverse melting pots in the world. In an era of aristocracy, he promoted meritocracy among his subjects.
1: Today, he's regarded as the founding father of Mongolia, while many humorously refer to the conqueror as a relative due to the sheer volume of children
2: he fathered. How did this uneducated man with weak ties to religious or political nobility conquer, unite, and cultivate the largest land empire in history?
1: For that, we must journey to 12th century Northeast Asia. Mongolia and northern China were in a period of momentous upheaval.
2: The Chinese Golden Kings of the Jurchen Tribe, also known as the Jin Dynasty, had just overthrown the unpopular Lao Dynasty. The Lao Dynasty had ruled over present-day northern and northeast China, Mongolia, and portions of the Russian Far East and North Korea.
1: As the region recovered, the Golden Kings were eager to plug any power vacuum the Lao Dynasty had left in its wake. In 1167, they set their sights on a particularly unruly group, the Kamig Mongol
2: Confederation. The Confederation was a major tribal coalition on the Mongolian Plateau. Each tribe answered to their respective khan, or ruler.
1: The Golden Kings' problems with the Confederation were twofold. On one hand, there was the legacy of distrust between the two parties brought on by years of battle. The other issue was prejudice against
2: the Mongol people. Mongols on the steppe were essentially illiterate and shared little cultural commonality with their city-dwelling Chinese neighbors. They were considered underdeveloped to the wealthy subjects of the Golden Kings.
1: The Mongols also did not appreciate their neighbors, but for different reasons. Their roads were unfairly taxed and policed by the Golden Kings. The encroachment led to a skirmish against the Jurchen Jin armies.
2: This was the era nine-year-old Genghis Khan, born Temujin, found himself in. His father, Yasugi, was a lesser chieftain in the Confederation and determined to make peace between his tribesmen and their new Chinese overlords.
1: Rectifying the rampant inequality was a tall order for the chieftain. Ruling required an iron heart and a degree of political aptitude many didn't possess. It was a difficult leadership position with a revolving door of short-tempered
2: naysayers. Yasugi wasn't interested in further division. He believed that forming alliances through marriage was the key to peace. The conventional thinking being family was less likely to spill their own blood.
1: This is why Temujin was set to marry Borte, a young woman from a rival tribe. But nine-year-old Temujin wasn't eager to wed. His interest was elsewhere.
2: Like other boys in his tribe, Temujin was drawn to adventure. Adeptness in hunting, combat, and horseback riding was expected of a young man his age.
1: Temujin trained under the tribal elders, many of whom were friends of his father. They shared harrowing tales of battles won, lost, and never forgotten, of military strategies adopted by their ancestors
2: and their enemies. The stories enthralled the curious boy. Temujin was fascinated by history and the battle scars that came with it. It frustrated him that the elders shared their wisdom sparingly. He just couldn't get enough.
1: Skill and information were invaluable trade secrets on the steppe. The more Temujin commanded, the more capable he could be to rule his future subjects, and the more attractive to his new bride.
2: Why were the elders coy to share more with Temujin? We'll never know for sure, but maybe they saw early on what he was capable of.
1: Tragically, Yasugi's plan for peace wasn't realized in his lifetime. Shortly after Temujin's betrothal, his father was murdered, poisoned by members of an enemy tribe.
2: The tragedy would upend Temujin's short but fragile life. The young boy was heartbroken, but he knew what was expected of him because of the stories shared to him by the elders. He'd follow in the footsteps of other young heirs who lost their fathers to war too soon and lead. That was the way.
1: Nine-year-old Temujin returned to take his father's vacant throne, but he arrived to treachery. His father's tribesmen cast the child aside for an older, more experienced leader. A man, not a boy, with
2: the appropriate skills to lead. It was difficult for the child to comprehend. He grew up with these people. They were his friends, his tribe. Where was their loyalty?
1: In other corners of the world, class and ancestry might have brought him security. Here, it had little value. It didn't matter whose son he was. At the end of the day, he was a nine-year-old boy who added little meaningful value to the camp. It was a stinging betrayal for Temujin, one that would have a lasting effect on the conqueror and the world he would inevitably mold.
2: Removed from his tribe, Temujin would wander the plateau with a vengeful chip on his shoulder. He had no time to grieve for his father. Now he was resigned to care for a wife he hardly knew and a small group of individuals still loyal to his family regardless. They were a tiny, vulnerable traveling camp. To make matters worse, his warrior training was incomplete. He had much to learn.
1: And the stakes were high. When the time was right, Redemption would bring Temujin back to his birthplace. It gave him a singular focus, especially in the difficult years ahead.
2: Temujin and Borte's relationship was tested on the lawless roads of the steppe. Traversing the terrain was an arduous task for the young newlyweds, but it sharpened Temujin's skills as a hunter and a partner. The absence of battle allowed him the opportunity to get to know his new wife.
1: Few historical facts survive from Borte's early years. However, as centuries passed, her legend has grown. Like many events chronicled in today's episode, the historic context comes from The Secret History of the Mongols, which was compiled for Genghis Khan's family after his death in 1227. Borte was born in 1161 and was a member of the Olkanud tribe, According to Genghis Khan, a biography by Zofia Stone, Borte was a beautiful girl with fair complexion. She had light in her face and fire in her eyes.
2: It was these features that brought Borte attention from suitors and attracted a young Temujin. Borte was also an outspoken partner in their marriage. Though the Mongolian tribes of the plateau were built on rigid patriarchy, Temujin did not ignore his wife's wisdom. He could be stubborn, but he was no fool.
1: History would remember Borte as a close advisor to Genghis Khan's empire. During their humble origins, things were no
2: different. To survive, the teenagers were eager to find camp. But finding the right tribe within the Kamag Mongol Federation proved challenging. Each tribe came with their own issues and quarrels.
1: The Federation was comprised of three prominent tribes, two of which proved to be the biggest obstacle. At one time, they were enemies of Temujin's father.
2: Obviously, they weren't interested in hosting Yasugi's wayward heir. But with the proper persuasion, Temujin successfully bartered for camp resources. It was a bittersweet victory. The search for a stable home still proved elusive for Temujin. But crossing paths with the other tribes sharpened his skill as a power broker.
1: By 19 years old, Temujin had used his political wheeling and dealing to uplift his burgeoning family. For the first time in over a decade, things were looking up.
2: But thieves had other plans. Under the cover of night, a group of marauders snuck into Temujin's makeshift camp. Then, all hell broke loose. The thieves were
1: well-trained and formidable. They found Temujin flat-footed. He fought bravely, but his camp lost the upper hand. Bodies and blood spilled everywhere. It was a massacre.
2: In their chaotic retreat, Temujin escaped on horseback, but Borte was nowhere to be found. When the dust settled, Temujin discovered that his wife had been kidnapped by individuals from a rival tribe, the Merkit.
1: The Merkit resided on the southern border of Russia. Their tribe, like Temujin's, was a fixture of the plateau. As a boy, he reportedly heard stories from his elders about the Merkit's ruthlessness.
2: The tribe was notorious for their violent raids, wife-stealing, and general belligerence.
1: Neither reason nor ransom were of interest to the marauders. Fighting back was suicide. All of Temujin's soldiers were either dead or licking their wounds from their last one-sided battle. Overwhelmed by defeat, Temujin was at a low point.
2: If he was going to rescue his wife, he needed new men and new ideas. But from where? Enter Jamukha, a powerful Mongol prince and Temujin's childhood friend.
1: Coming up, Borte's kidnappers face their comeuppance when Temujin and Jamuka arrive to liberate the camp.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: His wife Borte had been kidnapped by an enemy tribe and he scrambled to assemble a posse to rescue her. In his dark hour, Jamuka, a childhood friend, came to his side.
2: History is scant with details on Temujin's blood brother, or Anda in Mongolian. What's known is that Jamuka was born in 1160 into the subtribe, Jadarin. He was the son of a chieftain and crossed paths with Temujin as a child, likely at a trade stop between the respective tribes.
1: By 1181, the young prince's stock was on the rise. Jamuka had royal ties and was expected to be a Khan someday. Not only that, but his tribe was superior to Temujin's band of misfits in many obvious ways, mainly their sheer numbers.
2: When Temujin rallied for new soldiers, Jamuka was ready to ride under his old friend's banner. The timing was fortuitous. But the imbalance concerned Temujin. The Jadarin had no skin in this kidnapping. Why would they spill blood on Borte's behalf?
1: These were reasonable concerns, but they didn't mean a thing to Jamuka. He and Temujin were andas. Nothing would ever change that.
2: Jamuka's sacrifice wasn't lost on Temujin. His tribe may have discarded him, but Jamukha wouldn't do the same.
1: Jamukha's reinforcements arrived with bows, horses, and rigid discipline. A typical military unit was comprised of ten soldiers. Six of the ten were cavalry archers, while the other four wore heavy armor and commanded lancers.
2: The Mongols dressed their horses in lamellar plates, which were small rectangular items that properly shielded their appendages. The unique armor allowed the troops to operate at speeds their medieval knight neighbors couldn't match. Temujin was impressed by Jumuka's well-trained forces, but he was surprised by their unorthodox approach to chain of command. Officers enjoyed an unusual level of autonomy. As long as they
1: remained loyal to their Khan and got the job done, They were given the freedom to operate any way they saw fit. Conversely, if an officer failed, the entire unit would be punished, likely by immediate execution.
2: It was clear, just, and made sense to an impressionable Temujin. There were no VIPs on the battlefield. Each soldier lived and died by the same rules, the same merits. It was a formative moment for the future conqueror. After being discarded by his own tribe, he was keen to absorb the ways of his new brothers.
1: Locating Borte's kidnappers proved challenging. Following their initial attack on Temujin's camp, the Merkit were scattered and plotting their next raid.
2: They had no idea who or what was coming for them. After a few close calls, the kidnappers were found.
1: Temujin, armed with Anda's bow, entered the camp. The battle was a frenzy. Temujin was on a warpath, decimating camp after camp, searching for Borte. Soon enough, the couple was reunited. It had been nearly nine months since they had seen each other.
2: The mood was passionate, tender, albeit bittersweet. After being held captive and forced to wed another Merkit man, Temujin found Borte pregnant. The timing was too close to know for certain who was the father. Temujin was devastated about the questionable paternity. The question was, could the young couple's love overcome?
1: Temujin channeled his heartbreak into butchering what remained of the camp. He massacred families and oversaw extensive rape and pillaging. At 20 years old, Temujin had upended not only an entire tribe, but the balance of power on the plateau.
2: It was a cathartic victory, one that would attract a lot of attention and emotion. But as the fires from the raid subsided, questions hung like a dark cloud. In a few short months, Borte would give birth to a child that might not be his.
1: Ultimately, Temujin would accept the baby, Juchi, as his own son. Considering the savagery that came afterward, Temujin's choice to treat the boy as his own flesh and blood, regardless of paternity doubts, was surprising.
2: Perhaps Temujin came to this decision out of principle. It wasn't long ago that he was abandoned by his own tribe. Son or not, Temujin would not abandon this child. This particular wrong was one that he could right.
1: By the next year, 1182, Temujin and Jamuka's daring rescue had inspired intrigue. With the Merkit in his rear window, 20-year-old Temujin had taken his first steps in cementing his legacy of violence. And with a powerful new ally in his blood brother, his stock was on the rise.
2: Which is why Temujin and Jamuka's victory posed a pressing question. Who exactly would become the Khan of their steps? The populist renegade warrior Temujin or the son of a noble aristocrat Jamuka?
1: Scholars point to this formative chapter when looking for cultural insight into Temujin's political rise. For kidnapping his wife, Temujin had spared his enemies no mercy. To the other tribes targeted by the Merkit, he was greeted as a liberator but stomping out those loose ends brought unwanted attention from his Chinese overlords.
2: The Mongol Confederation was trapped in a disadvantageous economic relationship with its Chinese neighbors. All of their fighting on the open roads disrupted Chinese trade. The Golden Kings feared that valuable goods would fall into barbarian hands. Something had to be done about Temujin's nomadic horde of shepherds before it was too late. To keep the parties
1: preoccupied, in 1182, the Golden Kings devised a divide-and-rule campaign. The goal was to play the confederation tribes
2: against each other. According to the Mongol Empire, a historical encyclopedia, one goal of the Golden Kings was to prevent any charismatic leader from unifying the plateau. One particular Mongol Khan was so popular that he was captured and sent to the Jin dynasty.
1: If it succeeded, the Golden King's strategy would keep the Mongols' barbaric squabbles in their own backyard and away from Chinese trade routes. But the meddling was unpopular and representative of a larger political problem brewing on the steppe.
2: Rampant inequality. The nomads were intrigued by their neighbors' luxurious products but the city-dwelling Chinese weren't thrilled to trade with people they likened to barbarians. Temujin used the caustic arrangement to play up populist fervor. He had the shepherd's attention, but what would he do with it?
1: Temujin's father had once tried unsuccessfully to unite the tribes against the Chinese overlords. Now, Temujin had a chance to finish what his father started.
2: His strategy was simple. He had to get ahead of the Golden King's deception and unite whoever was left under a new Khan. This would be Temujin's first test at winning over hearts and minds.
1: Ironically, Temujin believed that the way to achieve peace was through more war. With the Merkit victory at their backs, Temujin and Jamuka used their political capital to crush any Merkit sympathizers and add men to their populist reckoning.
2: During this period, Temujin would develop his script for future conquests. He'd arrive with his soldiers and give his enemies a choice. Either surrender and live, or defend yourself and die.
1: Under Temujin's command, these battles were one-sided romps. His cavalry forces in particular were uniquely situated for victory. In Mongolia, horses were a fixture in daily life. New soldiers had cavalry experience on day one. They easily rode circles around the city-dwelling Chinese
2: soldiers from the south. This mobile advantage left Temujin's enemies confused and vulnerable. And when the battles were over, the horses were rotated to the fresh pastures of the defeated.
1: It was this symbiotic relationship between horse and rider that brought Temujin's populist revolution to fruition
2: the revolution shared another key advantage. Temujin's enemies couldn't attack him in the traditional sense because there wasn't a home base he needed to defend. They were nomad tribes with few structures or armories anchored down.
1: This allowed Temujin's subjects the freedom to grow their families without fear of theft or ruin. They were tetherless to the ground beneath, but completely connected to the man in front of them.
2: By 1184, Temujin's popularity with his troops surged. He embraced their ideals. No VIPs on the battlefield. And then he transferred this populist message to civilian rule.
1: It didn't matter if you were the son of a Khan or the son of a shepherd. Under Temujin, you were promoted and rewarded on merits. As long as you brought value, you could be whatever you wanted
2: to be. It was a clear departure from the aristocratic touchstones of 12th century East Asia, and it caused a rift between Temujin and Jamukha.
1: According to The Secret History of Mongols, Jamukha did not share Temujin's meritocratic approach to governance. He didn't appreciate that Temujin had attracted hordes of lower-class subjects to their camp. They could only feed so many.
2: Rescuing Borte was something Jamuka volunteered for, but he didn't sign up for the liberation of the steppe. He also didn't sign up to take orders from the son of a deceased minor chieftain. Yasugi was dead, and according to Mongolian aristocratic tradition, that fact made it impossible for Temujin ever to rule.
1: Temujin was warned, in so many words, to slow his roll. Their rocky relationship went off the rails in 1186. It all started with a prophecy.
2: According to the Secret History of Mongols, in 1186, a mysterious shaman came to Temujin and Jamukha's camp. The shaman brought an urgent prophecy and requested to see the leader of the camp. Jamukha
1: felt that, of course, this prophecy was meant for him. He was the rightful leader, after all. Jamuka invited the entire camp to the ritual to hear the shaman confirm
2: as much. Also in attendance were Temujin, Borte, Juchi, and their two new sons, Chagatai and Agadai. It was a spellbinding, albeit foreboding ritual. The shaman preached that harmony between man and nature must be adhered to.
1: Jamuka locked eyes with his blood brother. If he couldn't keep Temujin in line, Maybe the warnings of a shaman could.
2: Then the prophecy took an unexpected turn. The shaman described a man who would become the next great Khan of Mongolia. A man to unite all the warring tribes and bring harmony to the world. This man was a victor against the Merkit. This man was Temujin.
1: The attendants celebrated the prophecy. Before this, Temujin was just a crafty statesman and shrewd military tactician. Now, he was elevated by omens.
2: Jamukha stormed out of the ceremony. He had been an ally of Temujin's in his darkest hour. This prophecy was a betrayal.
1: Temujin followed after him, hoping to mend whatever bridge had been broken between them. The fact of the matter was, Temujin had little desire to rule without his blood brother. He saw Jamuka
2: as family. But Temujin's words fell on deaf ears. Jealousy had consumed Jamuka. As he left, he's said to have given Temujin a thinly veiled warning. Temujin may be adored, but he was no royal.
1: Unfortunately for Jamuka, Temujin's support amongst the shepherds won out. In 1186, 24-year-old Temujin was elected leader of their tribe. It ran counter to everything Jamuka understood. For generations, bloodline was paramount, and now popularity had won out. And with that popularity, Temujin was ready to bring harmony to the world.
2: Coming up, the battle between Temujin and Jamuka ignites the plateau.
1: Now back to the story.
2: Recently elected chieftain of his clan in 1186, Temujin set his sights on uniting the remaining tribes of the Mongolian steppe.
1: He didn't give much stock to the rumors of his Anda's displeasure, but he soon had no other choice but to confront
2: it. Borte overheard Jamuka making an odd comment. He inquired about the location of Temujin's resting quarters. The suspicious, unprompted question forced Borte to confront her husband. She feared that Jamuka was bitter and plotting his downfall. Maybe it was time to cut ties with his Anda?
1: The warning worked. Following his wife's advice, Temujin pulled away from Jamuka. It was a wise decision. The following year, Borte's fears were realized.
2: In 1187, Jamuka attacked Temujin with an army of 30,000 troops from 16 tribes. Jamuka's men caught his old friend by surprise. Temujin and his forces fled, scrambling to defend themselves from the onslaught.
1: As intended, Jamuka's attack prompted a crisis in leadership. The spotlight was back on the royal, and many wondered what his next move would be. However he handled Temujin, it had to send a signal.
2: Jamuka decided that for crossing him, Temujin's 70 captured supporters would be boiled alive.
1: This made a massive miscalculation. In an era of wife-stealing, pillaging, and infanticide, boiling soldiers alive was a bridge too far, even for Jamuka's supporters. His brutality backfired, and his once loyal soldiers switched sides to back Temujin.
2: The Andas fissure created a power vacuum for the plateau. Some wanted to elect Temujin as Khan of all the Mongols. Others could never put their support behind the son of a minor chieftain. When democracy couldn't solve the leadership question, the steppe erupted into a civil skirmish.
1: The war between the Andas came to a head at the Battle of Dalan Baljut, Ultimately, Temujin was outmaneuvered and overwhelmed by the belligerents. He refused to surrender, but victory wasn't in the cards. Temujin had to flee.
2: It was a humiliating defeat for the inexperienced ruler, a defeat that would cost him political capital and the lives of allies.
1: The eight years between 1187 and 1195 are somewhat of a black box in Temujin's life. The shepherds of the steppe were mostly illiterate, and left behind few records.
2: Further, the sole account of the time was the Secret History of Mongols, a historical narrative written post-mortem by Genghis Khan's devout followers. It begs a curious question, what was he up to?
1: One theory was that Temüjin was captured and forced to serve as a mercenary for a Chinese military leader. This suggestion comes from the fact that in 1195, Temujin returns to historical record with unfamiliar Chinese military tactics. Operating inside the Chinese military would have likely introduced Temujin to vulnerabilities he would later exploit.
2: Shortly after Temujin re-emerged in 1195, Another shaman's vision foretold that he would unite humanity under one kingdom. Reignited by the prophecy, 35-year-old Temujin was back to winning hearts and minds.
1: Jamukha was not angling for a rematch with his blood brother. He had used the past decade to consolidate power. In 1201, 13 tribes of the steppe elected him Khanling, the universal ruler of the Kamag Mongol Federation. Jamuka's rivalry with Temujin was now a distant memory.
2: Among the tribes now loyal to Jamuka were Borte's former kidnappers, the Merkit. The fact that his own Anda would realign with the men who raped his wife incensed Temujin. This was Jamukha's final act of betrayal. The conling's fate was sealed.
1: In late 1201, a battle erupted between Jamuka and Temujin's forces. It would be known as the Battle of Thirteen Sides.
2: It was a mobile fight, cutting through the Altai Mountains at the height of winter. Jamuka and his troops retreated to the foothills. Temujin followed on horseback in close pursuit.
1: It was a trap. Temujin was surrounded and outnumbered, but his men held the line and charged.
2: The risky maneuver put Jamukha on his heels. Temujin's cavalry flanked his blood brother's elite guards and captured Jamukha.
1: To execute Jamukha's followers, Temujin employed a barbaric method known as measuring the linchpin. The men were forced to stand alongside a wagon wheel. If they were taller than the linchpin in the wheel, they were beheaded. The soldiers would then divide the women and young girls amongst themselves to serve as
2: slaves. As for the conling himself, Temujin grappled with Jamuka's fate. The two had shared a sentimental bond once before, but politics and jealousy had twisted it beyond recognition. In the end, Temujin offered forgiveness, but only if Jamukha would bend the knee.
1: Jamuka declined. At this point, there was too much water under the bridge for him. He said there was room for only one sun in the sky. By 1201, his son had set.
2: Since he was a Mongol prince, he demanded Temujin give him a royal death. It meant taking his life without spilling blood. Temujin agreed to his anda's last plea. A group of soldiers broke Jamuka's back, effectively ending the rivalry.
1: Five years later, in 1206, Temujin was elected leader of the Kamag Mongol Federation. From this point forward, he was Genghis Khan. Free of Jamukha, Genghis Khan was able to quickly unify the remaining tribes, ending a long chapter of petty tribal infighting.
2: Now, Genghis Khan commanded all the pieces necessary for an offensive war machine. His sons were of military age and ready to be loyal generals. He supervised a burgeoning spy network. In part two, we'll unpack how even the weather was uniquely in the dictator's favor.
1: Genghis Khan's sites were beyond the plateau now. His subjects were growing in number and needed suitable, permanent fortifications
2: to call home. As his armies spent more time abroad, Genghis Khan realized there was a whole lot more to empire building than raiding and pillaging.
1: By 1206, The ruler's bloodthirst had yet to be quenched. In order for his empire to grow beyond the Mongolian steppe, millions would suffer.
2: Thanks for listening to Dictators. In next week's episode, we'll examine Genghis Khan's era of brutal dictatorship and his fall from power.
1: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
2: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Dictators for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
2: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Carrie Murphy with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Dictators was written by Brandon Willer with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.